Welcome to Old Stories of New Suns, a classic sci-fi travelogue. I'm Chris. On this show, we visit real stars in order of increasing distance from Earth, focusing on the way those stars were described in classic science fiction stories. Join me on a journey through old stories about imaginary trips to real places. This time on Old Stories of New Suns, we'll be traveling to Lalande 21185, sometimes called Gleazy 411, as it was imagined by L. Sprague de Camp in his 1951 novel, Rogue Queen. Some stars have proper names. Polaris, Aldebaran, and Betelgeuse are good examples. A few of those stars, such as Barnard's star, are named after people. A lot of stars instead have a Bayer designation, given to the stars by Johann Bayer in the early 1600s, that uses a Greek letter along with the name of the constellation that contains the star. Alpha Centauri is one example that we've already visited. Some stars are dim enough not to have come to notice until pretty recently, and these never got proper names or Bayer designations. Instead, they get a catalog number, which can be indicated in any of several different ways. Last time, we visited Wolf 359, which is the 359th star in Max Wolf's catalog of stars with high proper motion. This time, we're visiting another catalog-only star, Lalande 21185, one of the stars in Histoire Celeste Française, the catalog originally published in 1801 by Jérôme Lalande. Although Lalande 21185 wasn't included until the 1847 edition, at 8.31 light years away, 21185 is almost half a light year further than Wolf 359, but it's intrinsically almost 300 times brighter. We can see it for most of the trip. Even on Earth, Lalande 21185 is almost bright enough to be seen by someone with keen eyesight from a dark sky sight. In L. Sprague de Camp's 1951 novel Rogue Queen, Lalande 21185 is circled by three planets, one of which humans call Ormazd. De Camp describes the star as blood-colored, and when seen from Ormazd, as twice as large and one-quarter as bright as our sun is when seen from Earth. Ormazd itself is home to the Avtini, a species of intelligent, bipedal mammals a bit taller than humans, with red skin, four digits on each hand and foot, cat-like yellow eyes with slit pupils, and blue teeth. The Avtini are nearly hairless, with just an ornamental strip of hair running front to back across the top of their heads, then down their backs. This bipedal and nearly hairless description applies to most of the other Ormazdian animals, including the Avtini draft animals, called Uegs. You'll find the Avtini living in communities, collectively occupying the region of Avtinid, clustered along the Scarlet Sea. Although they're mammals, the Avtini are organized like our ants or bees, with each community headed by a queen, who is tended by fertile male drones, with a larger number of infertile female workers who do most of the work. The queens exercise power through elected councils, a sort of constitutional monarchy. The Avtini use what we'd recognize as Bronze Age technology. They travel by Ueg-drawn chariot, 
or for trips across the Scarlet Sea by sailing ship. They haven't mastered working any metal more advanced than gold, silver, or bronze, and their weapons are mostly bronze spears, which they use to make war against the neighboring hostile species, the Arsuuni. The war is largely defensive, waged to stop Arsuuni raids that aim to take Avtini slaves. It certainly isn't motivated by religion or science, neither of which the Avtini practice. If you meet an Avtin, consider referring to the planet not as Ormazd, but as Neond, their word for it. And be careful not to smile. If you bare your teeth, the Avtini are liable to interpret the expression as an indication that you're about to bite them. Instead, show joy the same way the Avtini do. Round your mouth into an O, as if you're surprised. If you're invited to share a meal with the Avtini, remember that the workers, the most numerous caste and the beings you're most likely to encounter, don't eat meat. They consider it poisonous. A step back to the Bronze Age may not strike you as worth the trip, but there's one thing you can enjoy much more easily here than on Earth. The night sky. With no modern lights and no moon in the sky, the nights here are much darker than they are back home, so make sure you find time to get out and see the stars. One note, though, the sun is too faint to see from here, so you won't be able to see home. One more sight on Ormazd is worth seeing, the Oracle of Lethwid. If you're willing to make the trek through the Gorge of Huayad, you'll find a hill on top of which is a grove of sacred trees surrounding a temple made of translucent blue stones. Inside, there are golden statues of the gods the Avtini worshipped before they abandoned their religion. If it will deign to see you, you might be lucky enough to meet the oracle itself. A waist-high, androgynous, furry, fourteen-fingered native of the planet Thoth, which orbits the star Procyon. Its name is Gildak, but wait for it to introduce itself before you use the name, lest you seem overly familiar. There's a lot of fun in DeCamp's story of Ormazd, but how does he do with the science? Rogue Queen gives us several details we can hold up against what we know about Lalande 21185 to answer that question. First, Lalande 21185 has two planets that we know of, rather than the three that DeCamp imagined. Unfortunately, neither of the two actual planets is likely to be habitable. Lalande 21185b orbits just a bit too close to the star to have liquid water on its surface, and Lalande 21185c orbits almost 13 times too far away from the star. What about the star itself? DeCamp describes it as blood-colored. Lalande 21185 is a red dwarf, so it's easy to see why he might say that. But it's pretty far off the mark, even allowing a little poetic license. At a temperature of 3600 Kelvin, Lalande 21185 is about the color where warm white light bulbs transition to cool white. Perhaps fairly noticeably yellow, but not red. DeCamp also says that, when viewed from Ormazd, the star is twice as large and one quarter as bright as our sun viewed from Earth. Given the lack of any habitable planet around Lalande 21185 in reality, 
It's hard to say for sure just how right or wrong DeCamp was here. But we could assume a planet in the middle of the habitable zone, orbiting at around 0.18 astronomical units, or 18% as far from the star as Earth is from the Sun. From there, a star the size of Lalande 21185 would subtend an angle of almost 1.2 degrees, which is just a bit more than twice the size of our Sun as seen from Earth. As for brightness, when viewed from our hypothetical habitable planet, Lavand 21185 would be about one-sixth as bright as the Sun viewed from Earth, which isn't too far off from DeCamp's one-quarter. When we developed the technology to discover actual planets around other stars, DeCamp didn't get quite as lucky as some of the other authors we've discussed. His imagined star system didn't match reality in terms of the number or location of the planets. He also didn't get the color of the star quite right. But he got surprisingly close with respect to the apparent size and brightness of Leland 21185. The author of our next story didn't do nearly such a good job. That's all for this episode of Old Stories of New Suns. You can reach me at oldstoriesofnewsons at gmail.com or on Twitter at sci-fi travelogue. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about the stars we're visiting. I hope you'll join me next time for another old story about another new sun.